Well, my name is Jeff, and I'm one of the young adult pastors at this church, and I'm just excited for this year. I'm really excited for this year because I believe it's a year of freedom. You know, this, it's, it's like that song we're singing that I messed up on Sunday, but, you know, there, there's freedom. Freedom's in the air. There's something that God wants to do this year, and whenever God wants to do something, the enemy tries to abort that. The enemy stands against that. You see that all through scripture. And this year, God is, wants to come and set his people free, starting with his people. And if you think about it, this idea of freedom is probably one of, is, is under attack. It's probably one of the most contested things right now. And if you think about our country, America was, was built, was founded on the idea of freedom, religious freedom. And it's really a religious freedom that's the basis of every freedom. Now, I'm not trying to get political, but you just see that freedom under attack nowadays. You know, some people look at this book and they're saying, man, God is so legalistic. Look at all these laws. I believe there's over 600. And I always respond with a question, how many laws do you think America has today? Let's just talk about tax laws. Let's just talk about the laws of the IRS. There's, I, was, I was looked it up. They said it's uncountable. Because for every law passed, every law that is passed, they don't undo an, an old law. They just have the old law. So it's just we keep passing more and more law. And you might think, well, that's a good thing, right? We're moving forward in life. Well, in some ways, laws prohibit freedom in some, to some extent. And so... I don't want to dive into that, but I'm just seeing how our enemy, Satan, hates freedom. Because there, there's something about freedom that you can't counterfeit, right? You can't pretend, like with happiness, you can pretend to be happy. You can even pretend to look successful, right? You can dress up, wear nice clothes. You, there's a lot of things that you can fake, let's just be honest. But you can't fake true freedom you could, because you can't buy it. You know, someone that is a millionaire, they could be one of the most uh, enslaved people. I actually heard something about uh, what, it's, what it's like being a president. And you know, like to be a president, you think you would have all this freedom. You really don't. Because you have all these speech writers, you have all these people around you that are watching and controlling what you do. You really, it's like you have so, so much limited freedom. But freedom isn't something that we could, we could buy. And I just believe that this is a year... That God wants to come and set his people free. And it's not by anything that you can do. It's like it's all because of his blood. It's like in, in the Passover in Exodus, the angel of destruction came to take away the, the firstborn. And what they did is they, they slaughtered a lamb and they painted on the, on the doors, on the door frames of their house. And when the angel saw that, he passed over that. It's like... And if you really think about it, if you go into it, they really did nothing. The, the Hebrews, they did nothing to deserve that freedom. It was all promised on God based what he gave to Abraham. And so I hope that encourages somebody because there's a lot of people, especially in the house of God, that are not living in freedom. We're not living at the freedom that 
God wants us to live out, right? And it's because it's not to shame anybody. It's not to make anybody feel guilty. It's just because there's a war over your freedom. Because when the world sees the kind of freedom that the church has, when he sees you flourish, when he sees the men and women, the image that he's created us to be, there's going to be so many people that want that. There's going to be so many people that it's like they wonder how they can have that same thing. And it's a freedom from, from Christ. And so, so tonight, I just wanted to, to remark on that because I just keep hearing that theme of, of freedom, of freedom. And so press into it, lean into that, and we'll see what God does. I'm excited to see what he does even in my life in areas where I could be freer. But tonight, that is our topic. What is true freedom? And I brought these props up here. I don't think I've ever done props, so I'm not like Jeremy or Dustin or Jeff. So I might trip over it. I might not do it exactly right. But it's really to, it's really to be an illustration between um, two masters, right? We have sin, which is a master, with, and we have Jesus Christ, our Lord, right? These are two things that are operating in this world today. And so I'm going to be reading from Romans. We've been in the book of Romans for, for a long time. And I'm going to do something I normally don't do. Uh, I'm going to read all the message translation. And the reason why I'm doing that is because Paul is trying to give this illustration. And if you read the normal translations, it's really this imagery of slavery, of serving slavery. And I just thought that this really captured that what he's trying to talk about. So I'm going to be using that and also the NLT, which we normally use. And so let's start in verse 15 through 18. So since we're out from under the old tyranny, look over here. Does that mean we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, that's over here, we can do, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. You know well enough from your own experience that are, there, are so, there are some acts of so-called freedom that actually destroy freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God, and the freedom never quits. All your lives you let sin that's over here, tell you what to do. But thank God you've started listening to a new master, ones whose commands have set you free to live openly in his freedom. So we see that contrast. And I just want to pray, Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that you show us the wonders and glories of your word and that it would set us free tonight. Amen. So Paul, he's, he's trying to, to give us an illustration. Right? He says at one time we, we offered ourselves completely to sin. This is our master. This is how we operated. This was our nature. This is what we relied upon. And everybody in the world, everybody was under the power of sin. There was no way we could get to have a relationship with God because we were positionally situated here. But now he tells us because of, of Jesus... Because of where we have a new master, and because he set us free, we actually get to live in this place of freedom over here. It's a very simple illustration, but it gets a little bit more complicated because 
Just because we're free doesn't mean that we can't sin anymore. Even though God has done away with, he, it's like the literal word is that he's made sin inoperable. He's like put it out of business. But yet we can still go back to our old nature. We can still go back to something that's been rendered obsolete and bring it back to life. We can still obey it. And that's what, that's what um, Paul is trying to warn, warn us tonight. Right? Even though we're free, in our freedom, don't go back to sin and obey it because it will rule over you. It's like what Jeff said on Sunday of how sin, it, it, it crouches at the door seeking, seeking to master, seeking to rule over you. It's like it characterizes it as almost something that is malicious, something that wants to control you. But before I, I get into the, more of the text, I, I want to talk about kind of the flow that, that Paul's been in. I know we, we don't get to study, like, if we were to study this every day, we would be able to see kind of the format that Paul is going through. But I want to kind of backtrack and get us to where we're at tonight. And so the very first thing is the origin of sin. So really, the origin of sin, sin came through Adam's disobedience, right? He was in relationship with God in the garden. They were tempted, and it sinned. In Romans 5.12, it says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. So that's what happened. Next, you see Paul talk about the purpose of the law. So humanity sinned. Next, the, the purpose of the law. It says, the law reveals humanity's condition. In Romans 3.20, says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we were. And so there was many people who were religious and they thought, well, because I have the law, because I obey the law, that, you know, I'm, I'm now righteous. I'm now over here. But that's not the truth. The truth was to show you that you were actually here, that you were actually in sin because no person could obey the law. And now we have what Paul introduces, grace through Jesus. What the, what the law could not accomplish, making us right with God, Jesus did by the cross. We see that Romans 5.17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death through all over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So now we get this whole option opens up to us. And, and last week, uh, uh, Jeremy talked about life under grace. And Paul asked in the beginning of chapter 6, he asked us this question. He's saying, should we, who are pretty much positioned here, should we continue to live in sin? Should we continue to live in sin that grace may increase? So it's like this idea we're now positioned here in Christ, but we have our feet over here. It's like, well, you know, I'm positioned in Christ. I'm covered by grace. His mercies are new every morning. That's nice. I'll go to confessional. So it's like this, it's like this idea of like, should we now go back to sin? So that's what Jeremy covered last week. <clears throat> and I want to give you guys a, a pop quiz. According to Paul, what do you think is the most important reason for 
not sinning. I'll say that again. What do you think is the most important reason for not sinning, according to Paul? One, don't sin because it hurts you. Two, don't sin because it hurts those you love. Three, don't sin because it offends God. Four, don't sin because it causes you to lose your joy or rewards. Five, don't sin because it is submission to the devil and to the fallen world system. Six, don't sin because it will bring God's discipline. Seven, don't sin because it breaks the law. Eight, don't sin because fill in the blank. What do you guys think? All of the above? Well, you're right. All these answers are valid. But what Paul illustrates, and he says this in Romans 6.2, on why we shouldn't sin is because we have died to sin. As scripture says, I think as Mark says, we had been buried with Christ in his death and we're now alive with him in new life. Isn't that crazy, that idea that now we've like are dead to this, that like that this is no longer operational in our life? I mean, we, we all have heard this, right, from our pastor. Well, you know, don't sin, it's going to harm somebody. Don't sin, you'll lose your joy. Or, you know, don't sin because it gives the devil an opportunity. These are all true. But the biggest foundational truth is the reason why we don't sin is because we've died to it. This is past tense. When you read the, the grammar, it is past tense. It's already been done. Which is amazing. Yeah, it's an amazing truth to go by. And f- let's continue. And now what we're on today is life without the law. Because you think, okay, now we don't have rules, we're under grace. And that's Paul's next question. Shall, uh, shall we sin because we are no longer under the law, law's requirements? Uh, in verses 15 through 18, Paul illustrates that we are slaves to the one we serve. He says, offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God and the freedom never quits. It says it this way in the NLT. It's actually a lot harsher in the NLT. It says, uh, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which results in death. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Right? So it's saying even though we're free in Christ, if we choose sin... We, we can become a slave to it. We could choose to, to sit here, but it's going to lead to death. And I'll explain that later because sometimes we think of like eternal death. We think of death at the end of our life, but it's not always uh, referring to that. But instead, we want to be the people who choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. And I want to give you guys this illustration I was trying to think of, you know, using this idea that sin's out the door, crouching out the door, seeking to master over you. And I kind of came up with this idea that sin is like a door-to-door salesman. You don't really see that nowadays, but back in the day, people would come and try to sell you vacuums or, you know, maybe a hair product or, or something. People made their living doing that. I'm not trying to knock salesmen. Please don't do that. But I want you to imagine that sin is a door-to-door salesman. You're, you're at home. You're enjoying a cup of coffee, thinking, maybe reading, and you hear a knock at the door, just a, a little tap, 
and you wonder, oh, I wonder who could that be. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a, a loved one. I'm too cheap to buy that ring thing, so I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way. And I'm going to see who it is. So you open the door, and it's, it's the salesman. He's dressed up in a nice suit, wearing a nice hat. You think to yourself, oh, I wonder who could this be. Maybe it's a banker, you know, probably not a Boy Scout. Wonder, you know, who could it be? And so he, he quickly gives his whole spiel, right? He says, you know, I'm a, I'm a salesman. I, I travel everywhere, and I come to offer you my services. And you think, well, okay, like, what are you, what are you trying to sell? He's like, well, I can sell you anything. In fact, I can, I can, I'm, trying, I'm selling to you the lust of the eyes, anything you desire to see, the lust of the flesh, any pleasure you desire to experience, and the pride of life, anything that is going to improve your life circumstances. You think to yourself, wow, that sounds pretty good. I mean, you're saying I can have any, or I can see anything, I could experience anything, that I can actually improve my life circumstance, make my life better. And he's like, yes. You think to yourself, well, this sounds too good to be true. And you ask, well, what's the catch? And he says to you, for you, my friend, there's no catch. In fact, I offer you my services free of charge. Up front, that is. Because it's not going to cost you until the end. The end of your life. But you know what? No one thinks about dying anyways. I mean, the time is short, right? The time is short, and everyone's saying, seize the day. You should enjoy life while you have it. You're young. Why don't you buy for me? In fact, all your neighbors, they utilize my service. Your whole town uses my services. You'd be the only person that says, has, says no to me. And so what you do is you're young. You don't know any better. You sign on the dotted line. And after a while... Those, those thrills and what seemed like fun turns into, turns into drudgery, turns into misery, right? And you, begin to, and you begin to see that there's like this gravitational pull. It's like you try to get away from sin. You try to get away from that bad habit. You swear you're never going to do it again. You come to church or whatever. But it just seems like it has some, uh, a mysterious control over you. It seems like it has a gravitational force and you always end up back here, back in the misery. See, the problem with sin is you never pay the cost up front. You never pay the cost up front. You pay it later, you pay, and especially at the end of your life. I was reading in Genesis, and I thought this is such a good illustration, I realized that, you know, Adam and Eve, they were told by God that, you know, if they ate off the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they, they would experience death. But you know what? They didn't experience death right away. Yeah, they realized that they were naked. They experienced shame. They were kicked out of paradise. They could no longer live there, that they're going to have to toil for their food but little did they know that their second-born son, Abel, would be murdered by Cain. 
It cost them the death of one of their children. Think about that. It, it didn't cost them right away, but later on it cost them the death of their child. And if they would have known, if, 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 like, if they could have seen into the future and, and saw what this action would have done, that it was actually going to cause all this horrific pain, this misery, it was going to cause the death of one of their sons, would they have done it still? So we don't know. We don't know the, the consequence of sin. That's why it's so dangerous, right? It seems fun. It seems great. But we never know what it's going to do. We can't control it. We can't control sin nature. It, it will unleash all kinds of pain and misery that you cannot control. But it promises everything. And likewise, following Jesus, it might cost you everything up front. It may seem like everybody's over there and you're the only one in your family over here. But I guarantee you, even though it might cost you everything up front, that you have the reward is far worth the sacrifice that we make. Even the reward, not just of eternal life, but of peace and joy, the things that you can't buy. And so it's just something that we're always having to choose in our life. And Paul's going to explain this, uh, that one of the rewards that we have is true freedom. He says in verse 19, he's saying, I'm using this freedom language because it's easy to picture. You can readily recall, can't you, how at one time, the more you did what you felt like doing... Not caring about others, not caring about God. The worse your life became and the less freedom you had. And how much different is now that you live in God's freedom, your lives are healed, they're inexpansive in holiness. He's explaining these two realities. Right? He's like, don't you remember how your, your life became worse off than less freedom you have? He's appealing to us. In fact, that's, that's kind of humanity's idea of, of freedom, right? Like, if you, if you think about humanity's idea of freedom over here, it's like, well, do as your heart tells you. Follow. Do whatever you feel like. And there's other kind of nuanced versions of this. Do whatever you feel like. It's, you know, just follow your heart. Just follow your dreams. Just do it. Whatever. It's kind of this nuanced idea of just, just do whatever you feel like doing, right? Pursue your own happiness. Pursue your own joy. But God's idea of freedom is, is a loving relationship with God, with other people that bring wholeness, that brings freedom, that brings joy into your life. It looks a lot different because this love that you experience is not of yourself, it's of, it's of him. I want to kind of switch gears right here and, and uh, do our table groups. Describe a, t a time in your life that you did... Uh, just what you felt like doing. And if you have time, you could, uh, did you feel more or less free than you do now? Did it bring brokenness or healing into your life? And overall, what was the result of it? So let's spend a few minutes and let's talk about that. So Paul actually answers this question, right? What was the result of a life of doing whatever you just felt like? He's, he, we're going to read this in verse 20 and 21. He says, as long as you did what you felt like doing, ignoring God, you didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living or right anything for that matter. But do you call that a free life? What did you get out of it? Nothing you're proud of now. I put that in red. I don't think you can see it. And where did it get you? A dead end. So Paul answers our last question. 
And in fact, the NLT is even harsher. It, this is what the NLT says in the same verses. You are now ashamed of the things that he used to do, things that end in eternal doom. See, we oftentimes think about the, the physical repercussions of sin. Maybe the loss of a relationship or friendship. Maybe you lost a job or a disease or sickness. We think about the physical component, but a lot of times we don't think about the emotional repercussions of sin. Especially when it comes to shame, which is like a hot button topic or uh, in research. Of, a lot of people are doing a research on, on the idea of shame and how it impacts our uh, sense of well-being. And if we look at the, I, I got two dic, uh, dictionaries to look at, the Lexham Bible Dictionary, how they, this is how they, what they say about shame. It's feelings associated with, but not limited to, failure, public exposure, disgrace, embarrassment, social rejection, ridicule, dishonor. Kind of sounds like junior high, right, if you remember? Being picked last or not wearing the right clothes, like, these can bring a level of shame, even rejection, right, from a parent or loved one. So that's, that's like what Lexham Bible Dictionary said. And I was looking at kind of a, a clinician definition, and this is not like an official one, but this really blew me away, what, how they defined shame. They said, the all-persuasive sense that I am flawed and defected, defective as a human being. And as I was studying this, I realized that there's so many people, especially in the church, that this is like an underlying current in their life. That it's like this all-persuasive sense that you're flawed and there's something wrong with you and you're completely defective as a human being. Think about that. Because that's not how God created us to be. He created us to be his sons and daughters. He created us to be the stewards of the earth. He created us to be royalty. He created us uh, in, in such amazing and, and unique ways, and yet sin has marred us, not just physically where we see disease and all kinds of things, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually. It's like we, people carry this, this shame. And what's even more frightening is that many clinicians and counselors kind of identified shame as a, a main root to many problems, right? Like this is like the underlying route to, towards maybe misbehavior, constant dissociation, manipulative behavior, difficulty understanding concepts of right and wrong, being bullied or easily bullied, defensive response to authority figures. We see a lot of that. Unwillingness to share or be vulnerable, being shunned by peers, shallow friendships, hesitancy to learn, difficulties with empathy, low self-confidence, Difficulty regulating emotions. This is like an underlying cause that they're beginning to see. It's this all-persuasive sense that somehow we are flawed and defective as a human being. I mean, I wonder what life was like in the garden before sin came. How would we view ourselves? What would that look like? What would our relationships with one another be like? And I want to switch gears again and kind of talk about this because I, and I, this might be difficult for some, but I want us to talk about how has the feeling of shame impacted your life negatively? 
And if you're comfortable, share a story or example from your life. And I want to spend some time on this because this is something I really believe is, has the power to bring freedom to your life is, is by getting vulnerable, by, by bringing this to the light. Because when a lot of, when sometimes a lot, when a lot of, a person feels shame, they don't want to share, they don't want to be vulnerable, they don't want to, a lot of times they want to isolate and nurse it on their own. But when you keep it in the dark, it's just going to fester. And so go ahead in your table groups, we'll spend a couple minutes with this, we'll spend uh, about five minutes. So let's go. All right, I want to kind of wrap it up with this last scripture for the night. Shame deeply impacts us more than we even realize. And a lot of times we don't even realize it's there. That's the, the problem. It's like how a lot of times we forget that gravity exists until you fall down. It's the same way. It's there. And at times it, it might reveal itself. But a lot of times we have no idea it's there. But this is what Paul says. He says, but now that you found out you don't have to listen to sin to tell you what to do and have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you. What a surprise. A whole healed, put together life right now with more and more life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death, but God's gift is real life, eternal life delivered by Jesus our master. So I love how Paul finishes with that. Right, how God desires us for to be whole, healed, put together, a life right now. In fact, when we read the word eternal life, it, we just think it's, it's about a life later on. But, but really, if you study the Greek, it has this idea of a quality of life. A, a, not just a quantity of life, but a quality of life. A life that is whole, put together. And a lot of times what we do as Christians is we... we before we're saved, we, we're serving sin nature. I'll use this one more time. But what happens is we, we sit in it, become slaves to it. And it, it becomes like our nature, right? We, we take on the nature of sin. And we hear a sermon, we come to church, a salvation message. And we come and we, we believe, we confess with our mouth that Jesus has come and dealt with our sins. But a lot of times we, we haven't gotten rid of this. We read the Bible, we read the truths, we, we, you know, we hear things about our identity, and yet we're still clinging on, we're still holding on to this. Because we've so bought into the lie that this is our identity, rather than something that's crouching at the door seeking to devour you, right? It's like a, a cancer patient. You, they would, no doctor will shame a cancer patient. A cancer is, is not a person's identity, it's, it's simply a condition. It's like an injury that they're having, and, and they need real bit rehab. They need medicine to get well. And it's the same idea of sin. Like Christ is, wants to treat this. He's, in fact, he already says it's, it's dead. He's already won the war with it. And yet we, we have this wrapped around us, and, and, we, and we wonder why, you know, the Christian life is not working, why we're trying so hard, why um, every attempt, every willpower to try to beat sin doesn't work. And it's because he's already done it for us. And so we have to learn to, to leave it here. To leave it here and, and to let him wrap himself around us, this, this new identity in him, and break the power of shame. Now, I hope that helps you guys tonight.
that illustration. I hope it frees some of you guys to realize that, you know, whatever sin or, or thing that you're dealing with, that it's not your identity. It's simply an injury that God is not shaming you. He's not rejecting you, that he's fully committed himself to you. I mean, his act, he's already proven what he's fully committed to do, and that was sending his son Jesus to die in our place as you, for you, in order to set you free. And so I want to pray for us tonight and just speak some things over us. Father, I just pray that you would just break the power of shame. I know it's not a, a one-time thing, Lord, but that you're going to break the power of shame over so many people here tonight. Through this year, you're gonna, they're going to experience a freedom like they've never experienced before. A freedom that only comes from you, Father. That people are going to come in this place, they're going to jump up for joy, Lord. They're going to have so much joy, it's just going to leak out of them, Lord. That people are going to be saved because of the freedom and joy of people in this room. And Lord, I just pray that the, that the, the clothes of, of shame, that the identity of sin, that that would just fall right off of us, Lord. And that you would come and clothe us in your righteousness. You would clothe us in, in your very own righteousness. Because you have chosen us. You delight in us, God. God, you chose to go to the cross for us while we, we were your enemies. And it's because that you, you, you desire to see enemies become sons and daughters. And so I pray, Lord, that this would, that there would just be such an amazing transformation of people in this church, Lord. That, that people wouldn't even know how it was possible, Lord. That it wouldn't even be years and years of counseling, Lord. It wouldn't be 20 years of counseling, God, to get free. God, it would just happen, Lord, as we worship you, as we claim your blood. And we pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Thank you.